This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Welcome back to Rule the Roost podcast. I'm your host, to Trunk, and here's the other host, Raj Baines. How you doing, mate? Yeah, not too bad, mate, you son. Very good, very good. Book coming along well? Yeah, it's coming along. Yeah, good man, good man. Coming along. Um, we've done lots of big introductions, so I'll plug it towards the end again for you, mate. Right, yeah, <laughs> <on that>. yeah. <laughs> whatever, mate, yeah. whatever. Um, let's, we'll crack on with Sunday straight up. Uh, it's still fresh in the memory. How how are you feeling overall, mate? What's your sort of vibe on the the way the game went? It was a good one nil win at home. I mean, Rafa Benitez, his tactics are really sort <laughs> of. Um... <laughs> Do you like what I did there? I like that. Uh, no, I like that. Uh, no, it was um, <laughs> it was a bit shit to be honest. Um, they didn't uh, they didn't get out of first gear, never mind third, um, and they didn't really apart from it in the bar and stuff they didn't look to trouble the goal apart from when <laughs> that wonderful own goal flew in which is still funny regardless of the result um but it was just it was weirdly flat and you don't know if it's Wembley or it's just a slow start to the season or something it's just um it was quite painful to watch Ugh, yeah I, I can't I can't really argue any of that mate I'm I mean I think I think the important thing that will I will caveat my upcoming thoughts with is I think bigger picture wise, we're going to be all right. I think, you know, a lot of what we've said previously doesn't disappear. We've got a very good squad. We have some very, very good players. We need some more backup. We knew that that was evident from the semi final against Chelsea last year. And I think that was evident from this match as well. Um, that even though Chelsea were kind of light, as it were, they still could bring players like Pedro off the bench. Um, but it's not as if they they outplayed us in a... They took their game to us. It was more they did a job on us in a, in a manner that a, a smaller club would. I mean, I joked about yeah. Benitez before, but it's the sort of performance that Rafa Benitez tried to have Newcastle do against Huddersfield. Just his team isn't as good as Chelsea's is. So... I, I, they, they did that whole sucking us in and hitting us on the break and all that sort of shite. Um, and it's one of the this one is of those a, things where yeah. we just we we should have known better. The, well, this is exactly it. This is why I don't really buy into the. I, I, number one, I don't buy into the fact we were unlucky. Um, I, I just don't. I don't particularly believe in 
luck and that kind of thing. We didn't we didn't create that many meaningful chances. If we're going to say it's unlucky that Harry Kane hit the post, then Chelsea are unlucky that Willian hit the post in the second half. If we're going to say that they're lucky that Marcus Alonso scored a great free kick, then I think you're kind of straw clutching. Um, and also, more to the fact, I think we've given away a number of free kicks against Chelsea in similar positions in these games at Wembley. They obviously play for it. Um, you could see David Luiz, who I think had a great game, so I'm not taking anything away from him. Um, I just think he was particularly brilliant for them, annoyingly, even though I really dislike the man. But he was playing for fouls constantly, and we just kept giving them to them. Um, and there's there's little things like that where we don't seem to wise up, which which irritates me a bit, because Chelsea will do that. They will shit out you, you know, as we kind of joke about, and they did that again. Um, but in terms of us outplaying them. I know this isn't what you're saying. This is just kind of the a lot of the discussion around the matches that, well, you know, we dominated and we outplayed them. But it, to me, it doesn't really count so much in the respect that, as you've said, they 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 set up for that eventuality. They 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 invited us on. And we we were just so lacking in lacking in ideas. Like they had those two solid banks um, they had that solid sort of defensive midfield bank and then their actual defence itself. That that lad they had, um, the stand-in, um, a centre-back, not Rudiger. Yeah, he, I thought he was absolutely brilliant. Like, a really, really decent player. Um, but we just seemed to keep trying the same thing. We, we kept trying to attack him through the middle. Um, and I, I, maybe that's a... We're a victim of the fact that Kieran Trippier didn't have the best game that... You know, Ben Davis isn't the most athletic, as we've kind of said, going down the left. But we seem to play with no width at all. Um, and I just I just felt that nothing that we really did was that meaningful. And that's that's what bothered me about it. Is it's, it's all well and good to have a lot of possession. Um, but I didn't really see us carve out that many sort of guilt-edged chances. Um, I think where Chelsea won the game was that Conte went in and prepared for that match having already conceded that Tottenham were the better side and Chelsea never played as if they thought they were better and their tactics matched that. So Mm. it was a a far cannier, far more pragmatic approach to the match than what Tottenham had because we've talked about sort of how we try and impose ourselves on teams and, and the way we try to approach them. And if that overload doesn't work, then there has to be a, a way of working around that again. And there has been in the past as change of formations and you know people coming off the bench and things, introducing the likes of you know Son and what have you. But you, there was there was no real um, reaction to the way that Chelsea played. It was sort of trying the same thing over and yeah. over again. Um, which was disappointing. It's not as if that didn't work at times because, you know, on another day, Harry Kane doesn't hit the post and <laughs> in another month, Harry Kane doesn't miss the post, I should probably say. Yeah. Um, and there was, you know, there were moments of class. Ericsson put in a couple of really good crosses where they just needed a touch and they didn't come. So I don't think that's a lack of luck. It was just Tottenham not being at their best on a day where they needed to be. And... Perhaps there's been one too many of those when the big teams come. Perhaps there is still a bit of a mental block when it comes to 
playing against and beating other top four sides. It used to be a way. And again, I think maybe subconsciously rather than, you know, something that's on the surface of it, not being at White Hart Lane may affect them because it's not the same atmosphere. It's not the same surroundings. It's not that same comfort and feeling of home that your actual home stadium gives you. It's, it's not the same as playing away, obviously, because of the difference in numbers and everything, but it's still adjustment for our players in a, in a way it hadn't been previously. So I think it's a very easy line and, and perhaps a lazy one to, to immediately point to Wembley, but I think there is mentally probably something there. And the reason you point to mental things with not just the top four sides, but with playing in a different stadium is that quality-wise, you can't really question that side, the one that was put out. It, there's enough quality there to to beat the Chelsea side that was put in front of them. And it was the intangible things that what went wrong and, and they're the things to be looked at rather than personnel specifically, in my opinion, at least. Um, I mean, because Victor Wanyama, people still criticise him for a bad game and he didn't have the best of games, but... To me, he looked about he looked about forty fifty percent fit, really. Yeah, he was, he was weirdly slow, and he wasn't putting himself about as he normally would. I don't know what was wrong with him. Maybe he's not well or something. I'm not sure. People do have bad games. That's probably one of his worst ever. In yeah, his oh yeah, definitely. Because he's he's never played that poorly in my mind for a long time. And you know, there was one or two mistakes. A lot's been made about Hugo Lloris. Um, which is, you know, a really interesting point and one that I sort of, having tweeted about and whatnot and had the response I had, was quite eye-opening for me because I didn't realise there was as many people who doubted him and, and essentially think he chucks one in against every big team we've ever played. i tell you what, because um, we have we had a question from Aaron at Juice Yoda who says Hugo Lloris, hero or villain? Um, and I, I saw your exchange, so I'm assuming you fall on the hero side of the spectrum with this one. The way I think of it is that Hugo Lloris does far more right than he ever does wrong for Tottenham. And he is in so much credit, given what he does over the course of a season, that you can't really crucify him when one odd mistake comes along. And I think there's a there's an element of confirmation bias where mistakes are because they'll point they'll they'll stick in the memory far more than, you know, good saves or good catches or alleviating pressure or anything like that will in sort of a routine win um, because they're more memorable and they hurt more because that's what defeat is. So if he has a bad game against Man City and he has a bad game um, or lets in an easy goal here or there in, in, you know, another match, they will be more memorable than, you know, what he does well is. But people often t- talk about goalkeepers in, in terms of how many points they win or lose you a season. And if you're looking at Hugo Lloris through that paradigm, I think I'm right in saying he's the goalkeeper who's probably conceded the least goals over the past two seasons and been part of the best defence over the past two seasons. And if he was uh, the sort of keeper who crumbled under pressure and and let goals in for no good reason they wouldn't be those statistics. He wouldn't be part of a good defence because a poor goalkeeper weakens a defence, and I don't think he does. Um, I think it's it's what we've always nodded to as well. I don't think either of us have ever said that Hugo Lloris is perfect. And we've 
we've well, often alluded very to obvious that. flaws. Well, exactly, and we've often alluded to terrible. the fact that this is why he's still at Spurs, really. But who do you, well, who do you bring in that's better than him? That's... I think he's one of the best five goalkeepers in the world. I think you can count on one hand the goalkeepers that are fundamentally better at their jobs than he is in every other department. And, you know, Tottenham won't be able to get anyone better than him. And that's not as if we should be looking for anyone no. better than him because it's it's ridiculous. Well, it's you... almost as if, you know, saying that Harry Kane doesn't score in August would lead somebody to go, oh, Tottenham might need to look at a different striker. <laughs> it's that sort of a thing. It's, it's really, it's something I can't quite get my head around because he's so good at what he does and, and it's, you know has done so much right for Spurs in his time here and clearly been the outstanding player for a while that on the odd occasion that he does make a mistake and there's such a huge overreaction to what he does, I'm never quite sure as to why that is or where that comes from because what's the alternative? Where's the where's this perfect goalkeeper that people think there is that's suddenly going to come from? Uh, Someone like Jack Butland that people seem to keep mentioning, which I don't, I don't really get what he's done other than be a promising acquisition in football manager that he's done in real terms to suggest that he's a tangibly better goalkeeper than Hugo Lloris. grass is always greener, isn't it? You know, it's the it's... same reason why, why people are constantly go on about new signings and people seem to think the, the league is won and lost over that sidebar on Sky Sports, who's got the most people coming in on the in column rather than what's actually being done on the field. It's such a weird way to think about the sport. It's almost as if we often talk about how football is a business and mm-hmm. and you know we concede that and you know we use the words and we talk about it in marketing context and we do that because you have to really to sort of understand what the sport is this day, this day in sort of 360 manner. But it's almost as if people have taken that too far to heart and they'll think that that actually has more of an impact than it does i've seen writers i mean rory smith especially has been really vocal on the fact that he would like to see tottenham do really well this season almost to dispel this myth that the more signings you make the better your team is because if we look at the one season where tottenham did make a shit ton of signings it was the worst season in living memory not living memory but the worst season in recent memory at least that we've had and it's just it's one of the most maddening things I can I can think of. It's this weird false equivalency that spunking a shitload of money and bringing in loads of players is going to make it better. If that was the case, Everton would be a better side than Tottenham are right now, but they're not because they're buying average players for too much money and they bought a shitload of them. And it's just a, a weird a weird thing that I I don't understand. And it sort of losses at Spurs always bring you know, the stupidest people out of the woodwork. And these are the people who are often the quietest when it's good. You know, when we went on those that 10-match winning streak and whatnot, you, you hardly got an idiot coming out. It was The mood was better. People sort of, their understanding seemed to be better. But as soon as there's a loss, they're, they're looking for problems that aren't there and they're, they're well, trying to over overcorrect things that don't need overcorrecting. It's... As, it's a really strange. As much as I, as much as I don't disagree with anything you're saying, particularly, um, just in terms of exploring the topic of Lloris and uh, his ability in big games, because that seems to be the thing that's been mentioned a bit. Um, do you know if the actual goal, the size of the goals at Wembley, is bigger? Because apparently, um, 
in all of our games at Wembley, of the 12... Uh, basically, Hugo Lloris has conceded 12 goals from 15 shots on target at Wembley, um, which seems like a pretty high ratio for him. That's six games. Six games at Wembley, 12 goals from 15 shots on target. Um, and I, I wonder if that's something to do with maybe his height? I mean, when we no, look the, at... The size of the goals are the same in every single stadium. I don't think... Really? I, I, don't, I, I think aware, that's so. a fundamental part of football is that the size <laughs> of the goal is is, do, is, is the same it's in so every stadium. I think, I think the depth of the nets might be bigger than they are elsewhere. They're sort of that weird yeah, yeah. cuboid. But as far as the posts are concerned, I'm fairly sure that to the millimetre, they're probably identical. Otherwise, that's a, a fairly big, um, you know, differential to have in the sport where that, that's that's the thing everyone's kicking the fucking ball at. I'm not sure goals are different. Mm. Uh, maybe, I don't know, maybe the stadium just does something to him as well that is different. One thing that, um, it, this may be a false equivalency of my own, but one thing that that has brought to mind is, um, I can't remember who said it, but I was listening to something once when somebody was on about um, being able to shoot around in an NBA arena and they're like, you know, when you work, when you have a normal basketball hoop and it's just a brick wall behind or just, you know, a plain wall behind in a normal gym, your sort of, your spatial awareness allows you to shoot a lot better. Mm. But because they're sort of, when you're shooting in an NBA arena, there's 20,000 seats behind you and sort of, it's a glass back and you, you can't really judge it as well. It's harder to get used to that because you're looking at something different and the surroundings are different and stuff like that. And Wembley seems to have that same sort of cavernous effect as, as that may, maybe something that sort of, he feels different about his surroundings. I'm not sure. It's just a, it's a pure guess, but he's, he's one of the last people I would ever go to crucify um, if I was to start victim blaming anyone, his throw out to Wanyama wasn't the best, but Wanyama had more than enough time to take a touch and, you know, if he needed to just hoof it out of play, he didn't need to try and turn or take an extra touch or do whatever he did. It's, you know, they're both as to blame as one another where that is concerned. The shot entirely, you know, he should have done better. I'm not sure why he's not just put side of his foot on it. Um, he doesn't often make many saves with his feet. Um, thinking back, he he does tend to be able to get down to the ground fairly quickly, but it's just one of those where he's he's made a mistake, and you know you you can't really change it. And if that was something a flaw in his game that happened often, then you could say you could point to it and you could point a correlation out. But I'm not sure that's there. And even in big games when things have happened, I don't think it's purely because he's been the the cause of that. I think the, the defence as a whole has been unsure in bigger ma- matches because they're asked different questions. To- I mean, totally, if it? anything, which is... Yeah, about 10 minutes into the game, Alvaro Morata had that free header. Yeah. And nobody, was no, nobody was in 10 yards of him. And we had three centre-backs on the field, so... Mm. You know, that's not Hugo Lloris's fault. <laughs> I saw somebody uh, questioned his positioning for the free kick as well. It's one of those where I didn't watch much of the day yesterday, but if I had, I imagine somebody said, if you had two goalkeepers in the goal, neither of them would have saved it. It was an exceptional free kick. I think that that's ridiculous. Absolute bollocks. Like the the fact that you know, people saying he should have done better for the free kick. Should have done. He definitely should have done better for the second goal. But like you say, it's 
Seagull race, you know. It was a silly free kick as well for Dali Ali to give away, yeah. especially in that position. He didn't need to stick his heel out or whatever he did in that position. Um especially at the timing of it as well. But there's nothing the goalkeeper can do from there. There's nothing the wall can do from there because it was put... Uh, he could take that free kick 100 more times and he wouldn't hit it better. So it's one of, that's another one you have to write off. I mean, if people think that's unlucky, maybe it is. But these things happen in sport. Um, it's just one of those where it's disappointing because it's happened so early on in the season. Spurs were favourites. There's this whole Wembley narrative surrounding it. We went through the whole of last season unbeaten at home and it's taken us one game at Wembley to be beaten already. There's already a, a growing unrest because the season started and people haven't got the 50 signings they want through the door. And It always seems that, that Spurs have a standing start to the season. It always seems as if there's something that people have to complain about around this time of the year. And it's almost as if the reason why, you know, when it comes into the running and, and stuff like that, Spurs are playing catch-up is because we've gone through this August and September where everyone's decided to have mild civil war and then settle down before we actually start, you know, having a united front of a October through to the end of the season. It's a strange pattern that seems to repeat itself. I'm not a a huge fan of it. Yeah, it's, I don't know. It, it, it is, I see what's frustrating. I think it's, it, it's a kick in the bollocks to lose to Chelsea, right? That's the annoying thing. It's, it's that, again, it's kind of like you say, it's almost along that confirmation bias line of things whereby we're being told all summer long, Spurs have this hoodoo at Wembley and, you know, there, is that going to carry on into the new year? And then we kind of almost saw this, cut and paste of the semi-final against Chelsea play out again um, in this match in so much as we dominate possession probably should have gotten a draw but still Chelsea managed to to overcome us so I think that's that's largely a part of the frustration I think it's also perhaps maybe it's people just waking up to the fact really that you know, White Hart Lane is gone, that Wembley is our home for now. Because, I mean, that match to experience is 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 not great. It's really not great. I mean, the, the, kudos to the trust. I don't, I don't, you know, take a shot at them for anything. I know they've worked very hard to, to make sure that it, it's just, you know, it's a, it feels like home, but it just, it just isn't, you know, it's, it's walking up to this ground that's, in the middle of like an industrial park when you've got outlet stores and shopping centers and stuff all around it. it it's just all so artificial. Um, it's just, it's just pretty vapid, you know, it, 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 and going there for going there this early in the season to play in a game like Chelsea, I didn't even feel that much of a buzz about it. It, it didn't really feel like we were playing Chelsea at home. It just felt like, a game against Chelsea, like some sort of exhibition match or something. I don't know. It will, it will take some getting used to. And if there's a bedding in period for fans, then it stands to reason that there would be a bedding in period for the players as well. Um, we just got to hope that that doesn't span on for too long. Um, I guess one final thing I wanted to mention from the game um, was that, at least for me, Kieran Trippier stood out. Um, he was almost alarmingly a non-entity for me, I felt. Um, I mean, in so much as I don't think he really did anything particularly that bad, but it was just 
there was no thrust there from him. And I think he got into the position where he's supposed to be showing off the fact he can deliver you know, uh, a decent ball, but he didn't even really manage that throughout the game. Um, well, it looked like a player who'd been injured and hadn't had a run-up as he needed yeah, to. Yeah, fair, him. fair. Um, you know, he's been pushed in the deep end. I mean, it's. Uh, I don't know why after having seen how Trippier played and clearly wasn't fit, clearly wasn't match sharp. He may have been match fit. He, you know, he got through what he needed to get through in terms of, you know, running up and down, but there was no real spark to his game. As you say, if Carl Walker-Peters is putting a man in the match shift that at Newcastle and others want to protect him, but, you know, there's no harm in giving him a crack against Chelsea because no. I, I felt he couldn't he couldn't have played any worse than Trippier did and no. now the opposite is if you try to protect Walker Peters you've put Trippier into no man's land unfit and you know un, not ready to play that level of football and you've got everybody who, who wants to stick a boot into him because Kyle Walker got sold doing so now so you almost cut off your nose despite your face where that's concerned. And it was almost as if the lesser of two evils would have been to give Carl Walker-Peters that experience of playing at home, playing in front of the home fans and seeing how he did. Because you can you can write that off as a as a test. You can go, you know what, he played really once against Newcastle. He's earned his chance here in this bigger game. Um, Kieran Trippier is not fully fit yet. We had no other opportunity. And you can almost protect him that way and say that, you know, he was played because he'd earned the right to play and we had no other opportunity. And that's your safety net. He does really well. And you get to say, look at how good this player is we've we've produced. He plays badly and you go, you know what, he's not ready for this level. We didn't think he was, but we had no alternative. So, we, you know, that's hindsight's twenty twenty, but perhaps that, that's an avenue we, we should have explored more than we had because it's not as if, He's been shy about chucking in players in big games before. I think Ryan Mason made his debut in a Arsenal game away. He, you know, he's you know, Carry Kane played over players like Soldado and Adibayor, who are more senior than he is. He's done it all the way through his time at Tottenham. So there's there's no reason as to why he should suddenly be uh, tentative about these players. You know, having a crack in the first team, that's sort of one of the things we, we're most happy with Pochettino with his, you know, the size of his bollocks when it comes to mm. building youth team players and getting the best out of them. Would you like to see us still sign a right back before the window closes? If if the correct one comes along, perhaps someone a bit more in the Kyle Walker mould? doesn't even have to be in the Carl Walker mould, I don't think. As long as it's a player that Pochettino thinks he he can get to a level that is either significantly better than Kieran Trippier or can challenge him for his position, then yeah, there's there's obviously a gap that needs to be filled there. Um, I don't want somebody signing just for the sake of signing, but you know, if if there's a right signing to be made, then, then make it by all means. We're, we're obviously not shy of signing anyone because... Uh, or shy of signing people for the right money if we think they're the right fit because David Sanchez hasn't come cheap. Um, so it's it's one of those where I imagine the, the club are happy to wait themselves. I will be interested to see um, in in with regard to Davinson Sanchez because um, Flav did a little podcast with uh, Priya Ramesh this week who talks about... Um, the Eredivisie quite a lot, she's a journalist. Um, and he did a, just a little pod on Davinson Sanchez. Um, and one of the things she really sort of focused on was the fact that he's very quick, he's very athletic, he, he's 
you know, he's got a, uh, you know, a decent tackle on him, so to speak. And, uh, but he's very raw. Child. Yeah, he's, he's young enough and he's very raw. Um, and I do wonder if, 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 if in any way we are looking at potentially moulding him into some sort of fullback, wingback, whatever, whichever way you want to call it, um, to, fit, to fill in one of those positions. Because it does seem strange, unless we really are preparing for Alderweirel to, to go next season. I don't think it's that. I think Vimmer's going, isn't he? So it's just uh, improving what we already have. Mm. I don't think we have to be so fatalistic about these things. It's just one of those where there's a great player available at the right age that, that Tottenham look for. The price has obviously gone up because the price goes up because of what the market is. And we're signing him because we're going to lose another one of the players that the manager doesn't think is right. And he's found somebody that is. So it's there's no need to suddenly go, oh my God. It's not as if, you know, when we sign Paul Lopez, everyone's going, oh no, this means Hugo Lloris is going. There's obviously five dickheads that thought Hugo Lloris isn't a good keeper who <laughs> they want him to go. Mm-hmm. But th- there's... um I, 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 I think that's a stretch personally. It may end up being the truth, but I don't think that's the the thinking behind it. I do wonder though if it means we're going to be sticking with the back three a lot more. Um only so much as because apparently he had he did turn down a few other moves because he wasn't so keen on taking a development role. So I, you know, it stands to reason that he's coming to Spurs to actually play. Gonna sign a, we're not going to sign anyone for 40 million and sit him in the on the bench. He's going to be playing um, and he's going to be playing regularly. I don't know. The the one concern I would have is what that means for Eric Dyer because it's his position that will be going. Um, so I'd, if that means Dyer's going back to right back where he obviously hated it, I'm not sure whether or not maybe he's to midfield. Well, he's got to take um, Victor Wanyano's jumper off him mm. uh, on the weekends uh, um, display. Then it might be an easier task than it was last season. But Wanyama's been a fantastic player more often than he hasn't for Spurs. Yeah, and that, that's the that's the thing. That's the main thing that I'm sort of annoyed about. Not just in the performance, but the reaction to it is that there's such a a quickness to forget what has come before and this this real. Um, Ability to to suddenly just go, oh, he's clearly not good enough because he's had one bad game and, and something like that. Where you, if you look at the wider picture and you look at the sort of what they've done in a Spurs shirt for longer than that, it's not as if we're going, oh, Victor Wanyama was really good for as Spurs player ten years ago. We're in about what three months ago or whatever it was. It's not as if he's suddenly gone shit over the summer. He's just had one bad game, mm. so it's it's a really strange way. I know people take losses in derby games a lot harder than they do other ones, and you know I was watching it in a bar with my mates, and you know they took piss out of me because I went quiet for half an hour after the game finishes. You know, I, if I'd at home and I was with my dad, we'd have ranted and raved for ten minutes and got it out of my system. But because I'm with Huddersfield and Leeds fans, they don't really want to hear me do that. So I just sort of sat there for half an hour, quiet on my own, and you know they they noticed after a while and they went, what the fuck are you so quiet for? And it's just one of those things where we have to process it and move on. Um, because you do. I mean, all the things you think of after a win, you're sort of like, oh, this has got to happen, that's got to happen. But you suddenly realise you, you're, you're over-correcting. I think that's something that perhaps this fan base is, is not uniquely a thing that we do, but it's something we do quite often as well. Um, and to credit where it's due... And that same sort of 
thinking Antonio Conte has not suddenly become a shit manager over the summer either. You know, Chelsea didn't do a job on Tottenham by accident. No. He knew what he was doing and just because he was missing some of his best players, which will have been a contributing factor to the way they played and set out, he put the best possible game plan together he could with what he had available and that was good enough to win on the day. If Tottenham played the way they did against sort of maybe... 14 other teams in the Premier League, they'd probably have won that game 1 or 2 0. Um, I mean, because we, we had another question. It's, I'm just chucking these in now because they're sort of very relevant to the conversation. It would seem a bit weird to shoehorn them in later on. Um, Lee, who has a spectacular handle of at Moody Tosser, um, <laughs> another one of my alter egos, asks Do you think Conte is tactically a better manager than Pochettino? Um, I mean, it's kind of hard to, to quantify that, really, isn't it? But I guess the, the point is, do you think Conte is quite good at getting getting the better of Pochettino in these games? Clearly. I mean, what, they've played each other four times? Pochettino's won one and Conte's won three? Am I right in thinking that? Yeah, but the one in which we did beat them, we fucking hammered them as well. They're 2-0, wasn't it, at home? Deli Ali got getting those two identical goals. Yeah, so it's not as if Pochettino is a terrible manager, but Conte obviously knows how to how to pick his horses for courses. He's he a lot more experienced, that, right, as a manager. Yeah, you know, he's had international management. He's worked his way up through the lower leagues. He's managed Juventus. He's done a lot more than Pochettino has. Um, I don't think they're actually too dissimilar in ages or anything. It's just that Conte worked himself up a bit quicker than Pochettino has. Um, and... Maybe there is a, a case to be made that tactically Conte is slightly more astute than Pochettino is. I don't think that's uh, a particularly divisive thing to say, but there are areas in which Pochettino is better than Conte is. I think, Having her. You know, his, his man management is clearly better because Conte is a walking disaster area where that's concerned. His players seem to like him for parts of last season, but half their issue at the moment is that he's managed to help implode any sort of semblance of, you know, team spirit they had because he can't be stopping himself texting people and saying shit about people and being... Yeah, he got into a weird actual, like, childish beef with uh, Diego Costa, didn't he? Well, they're still in the middle of it. The reason that Costa's not playing for him is he texted him and said, you're not in my plans anymore. And then they failed to sign Lukaku, which he thought was going to happen. And they've signed Murata, who was sort of their second choice. And um, he sort of needs Costa to play for him now. And he refuses to because he wants to go back to Atletico. And his manager told him he was, you know, done for at the club. And now he's had to go groveling back. So it's... And that's never happened with Pochettino. No. Even when we talk about this Rose thing, we talk about the Walker thing, he's handled it perfectly. So there's areas in which, you know, if you're going to give him areas out of 10, that maybe contains a point or two more than Pochettino, but there's areas in other areas in which Pochettino's a better manager than he is. It's such a multifaceted role and, and different things like that that, you know, you've got to give him credit. I mean, I don't think anyone thinks that Conte's done miraculously well with the Chelsea youth system or anything because he hasn't. There's no there's nobody who'd really point to as him having brought through. And if he'd ha- if he has as big a say or as in much influence as Pochettino does over our academy, then he would have done because there's 
you know what, 40, 50 players that Chelsea have got out on loan or something absurd? Ridiculous, is a player in there you'd have picked out on. And he's obviously done all right jobs with the likes of Victor Moses and whatnot that have been written off by other managers, but they're not youth players. Victor Moses has played really well for other clubs for a long time before Conte came yeah. along. It's just that he gave him a role and trained him in a way that... Arguably, got... he's lost. I mean, it, I think Loftus-Cheek's gone permanently, hasn't he? And Solanke's gone as well, No, Loftus-Cheek, they're on loan. I think Loftus-Cheek's on loan. And Solanke's definitely left. Uh, one of the Shalabert has, has gone. So um, there's a few that have gone, but you know some of that falls on the shoulders of Michael Emanalo as well. So you've got to wonder how to what extent he's... His hands are tied where that's concerned. But like I say, mm. if he was a, if he was more vocal about it, if he was more concentrated on that aspect of their club, I don't think Emanalo's going to stand in his way of promoting players if that's what he wants to do. But it doesn't appear to be something he's particularly interested in. He would have been, just from the few times I've seen him, he'd have been quite a nice signing that Solanke. He does look quite a decent player. But, oh, I don't think Chelsea are in a rush to sell anyone to Tottenham at the minute. No, that's true. Well, I could bet that he was he was free agent, wasn't he? Liverpool just had to uh, pay a tribunal fee, I think, for him of about four or five mil, next to nothing. Um, but anyway, yeah, who cares? Right, let's uh, let's move on. Burnley, um, who interestingly enough, as much as it's all doom and gloom, as losing at home to Chelsea. Chelsea lost their opening game of the season at home to Burnley, um, which is hopefully not a bit of a kind of ominous. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. A sign for for Spurs, it, it would be a bit miserable at the moment to to have this sort of loss compounded by also losing to Burnley. Um, no disrespect, well, come on, let's be honest, a bit of disrespect to Burnley. You would hope that we would turn up and smash them in this, considering they have just lost at home to West Brom as well in their second fixture. Um, they've just signed today, what's his name, that lad, the Leeds lad? Chris Wood. Any good? No, he's, he's all right. Like I was telling you, he's sort of your bog-standard championship striker. He scored a lot of goals because he was in the right places, but there's nothing particularly exciting about him. We've seen plenty of players of his ilk step up to the Premier League and fail. For my money, the likes of Jordan Rhodes are more impressive players than he is at championship level, but he's scored more goals than they did, so you don't know how they're going to you know, take off when they come up to the Premier League. Um, there's nothing I'd be particularly worried about where he's concerned because he's not going to be, you know, 
too au fait with what Burnley do, although I don't think Sean Dyche's tactics are that complicated to get your head around. Um, so it's not as if I'm suddenly scared of playing Burnley because I've signed Chris Wood. Um, but, you know, if we thought that Chelsea came and played shit football against us, fuck knows what Burnley are going to do because uh, they're awful. Um, and it works for them, in fairness, but they are awful. Um they were one of the worst sides I saw at White Hart Lane last year. They, oh, they're so they, boring. And it, the, the thing is, you don't want to go too far in that direction and write them off too much yeah. playing shit football because they know how to do it and they know how to hurt you doing it. Um, I don't think that the Chelsea game is too much to be worried about either with Burnley because that was an anomaly given the way Chelsea played, their mood and their approach to that game. And... Um, Descendings off and whatnot. If anything, going forward, given how they played against Tottenham, maybe that's a blessing in disguise. Because, um, you know, it was last season when Chelsea got hammered by Arsenal that Conte sort of changed things. And after they got hammered by Burnley, he changed things again and, and did things a different way. And perhaps they've had their wake up call that they needed. And um, maybe that Chelsea game will act as Spurs, as we don't know. But um, Burnley are just. We know what they're going to do and we know how they're going to do it. We just have to be better than them and score early enough that they have to come out because the longer it goes on at 0-0, the deeper they'll get and the more they'll try and catch us on the break. Uh, so it's it's the most predictable game we'll have all season apart from West Brom. But the fact they lost to West Brom at home is just because both of those clubs try and play shit football in almost exactly the same manner. And Tony Pulis just just a better version of it. And he's got Gary Megson as his assistant now. So it's almost like they've got this weird, you know, axis of evil of shit football together. The, the two shit football masterminds at West Brom who <laughs> managed to overpower Daesh. So it's not something I'm particularly worried about, but it's just one of those where you can't not give them any respect and you can't not be prepared for them because that's what they feed off and that's what they hope for. You've you've just got to have the right attitude and have the right approach and then you'll beat them. Do you think we'll... I can't see us lining up the same way that we did against Chelsea. You, you'd probably see Son coming back into the mix, wouldn't you, for this one? I see no reason as to why not, no. Um, there's all sorts of things we could we could do. There's no... I wouldn't mind seeing Harry Winks get given a go as well, to be honest. Maybe not from the start, but... I'd like to see him get a few minutes in this one. Yeah, well, this game will be about how intelligently we can use the ball in the final third. Um, So the more players we can have on the field that do that without exposing ourselves, the better. Uh, If Trippier's not ready, then give Walker-Peters another run out. I actually thought, in fairness to Ben Davies, he wasn't bad against I thought he was all right, yeah. He got forward more than most, did he? I think he had more... Decent shots at goal than many of them. Oh, yeah, yeah, that one, like that absolute kind of cracker, didn't he? He's got two and two Premier League games before this one, so he's mm. obviously won a bit, a bit of a high and stuff, so he's he's not actually a concern anymore. Um, he, like I say, he was one of the better players against Chelsea, so it's one of those where, you know, as long as they win, they put a few more smiles on people's faces and whatnot. I mean, this next week's going to be long because the window's still open and people are going to be over-analyzing and overreacting to that Chelsea game so much that it's one of those where they they have to win to sort of keep people sane. Otherwise, you know, a draw or a loss against Burnley at home is just going to be such a negative and, you know, dig themselves into such a hole in terms of momentum and atmosphere that it's really best avoided. 
Mm, it would be, yeah, it's, it's not, you know, let's not buy into the, the hyperbole of it. It's not going to be an actual catastrophe, but it would be, it would be pretty fucking miserable. We oh, do, no, we do it, it need to make about, a statement at, like at Wembley now. We need to get it done. It would take about three hours before the think piece on Tottenham's bubble bursting came out if things didn't go right against Burnley at home. Mm. So it's one of those where you just got to anticipate that, know what your job is and, and play better and win the match. It's just about being professional because where quality is concerned, where you know tactics or anything like that are concerned, Tottenham are bigger and better and more impressive in every single department. And the only reason as to why they would lose a match like that is because of negligence. And they they just have to make sure their attitude is good enough that you know being negligent isn't something that bites them in the ass. Should we go on to some listener questions? If we must. <laughs> Um, we've had one from Philip at Single Malt Suds, who asks us, what do you make of the drum? Modern football nuisance? Or, yeah, of course it needed to be mic'd up, or else you wouldn't hear it. Uh, uh, just This is in reference to the fact that we had a drum playing through the actual tannoy at this stadium yesterday. So was somebody actually... I'm not, I'm not sure. I, I, was somebody playing the drum or have they bought like 12 drum songs on a CD and started playing it through the PA system? This is what I couldn't work out. Mate. I mean, neither's particularly great, but if no. it's the latter, then somebody needs sucking. Yeah, I, I mean, either way, to be honest, either way, if it was Arsenal, I'd be ripping the piss out of that, you know? Um, it's It's... I kind of I, I get it to an extent because it is very hard to get the atmosphere going in a ground. It's not so much even the size of the ground; it's the way in which it's built. It's a it's a real catastrophic stadium for atmosphere, Wembley. Um, I mean, I'm so glad the club are using that as a template to to learn from uh, essentially how not to build a stadium going forwards. And we've seen that with the sort of steepness of our stands and the proximity to the pitch. Um, whether or not that actually does have a tangible effect on atmosphere remains to be seen. You'd imagine it would do. Um, but Well, the, the problem with Wembley is that it's not a football stadium. It's this weird events arena. Yeah. The FA want there so they can have everything under the sun at it. So it's it's not been purpose-built for any one thing. They want to be able to do everything in it and... You know, you can't be all things to all people, and when you try to be, it's inevitably shit. I mean, you would still hope that they were, they that they had football in mind when they were first building it, though, wouldn't you? But I, I do not. You don't saying. know anything about the FA, do you? No. So consistently stupid and irresponsible, and you know, just poor at their jobs from almost top to bottom. They wouldn't surprise you if they. <laughs> you know, hired the wrong people to design it and had the wrong intentions going into it. And, you know, but it, that stadium was so late and so, you know, overpriced and everything. They, it was a it's a joke from start to finish. And, you know, the, people are still paying for that. The fact that we've got FA Cup semi-finals and shit there is because they're, they're still paying back debt on it and, yeah. and whatnot. So it's, you know, the, the entire operation, if you were going to do sort of a an appraisal afterwards, there's no way that you could... You know, spin it as if it was good because it's not. It's it's not a great place. It's if you're gonna have to go there once or twice a year or something for a big game, then you don't complain because 
the size of it is impressive if you've forgotten how big it is every now and then, but it's not somewhere you'd want to go every week, especially to watch your own team. No, the first, I think the first time I'd been there was... I think it's we had a pre-season a good few years ago against Barcelona there. I think that's the first time I ever went to New Wembley. Wembley Cup. Yeah, and I my immediate reaction was fucking hell, this is massive. Like it was it was pretty, you know, awe-inspiring when I first walked into the ground, but it just it, it just doesn't hold an atmosphere. It's just not great. It's I don't know. We can go on about that all day, but in terms of this drum, the drum over the tannoy, I just I think it's something they, they have to avoid. They've got to hope they get, get the drum in an actual area of the ground and hope that it just catches organically because I think it it's just it's too plastic playing playing your it's 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 one it's one one stage removed from goal music, right? You know goal music's cousin. It's like it's like a, the you know the the old rumour that in the in the Emirates um, and you don't know how much of this is a Tottenham fan kind of slanderous type rumour or not, but apparently like on some of the Champions League games when they uh, kind of only half fill the Emirates, they'll play like a a crowd hum over the tannoy and stuff like that to make it feel a bit more full, um, which is, yeah, I don't crowd know. Crowd hum? Yeah, just a sort of general ambient soundtrack. It's probably a bit tinfoil hat or... Yeah, Tottenham. Oh, fuck knows yeah. if them if they've got a ten favorite Spurs chance drum CD, then <laughs> what's possible? Um, so we've had Elliot. It'd be even funnier if it was like, and they've hired a drummer who's been mic'd up himself, and he's in some cupboard in the side of Wembley drumming along these songs. And there's a guy on him like a walkie-talkie going, "It's a bit quiet out there. Can you give us? Oh, don't mate. Give, just... give us a song. The Chelsea fans are singing." Fucking anti-Semitic stuff again, quick, drown it out, you know. <laughs> um, uh, let's have a look at one of those questions. Da, 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 da. We've had... All right, here's a good one. Um, <clears throat> YB at YBear underscore asks, if we were to go and sign a pacey winger, how would they fit into the 3-4-3? They play on one of the sides of the three at the front. Just a, the inverted forward thing. Yeah. yeah. They play on the wing. I would like where to the, see a sign of pacey play. attacker. You know? Well, I wrote a thing like last month, didn't I, saying that we've never replaced peak Aaron Lennon. And yeah, yeah. By that. No, you know, I agree. Just, sometimes, you know, somebody who runs really fucking quickly around people is a very effective way of getting the ball into dangerous areas. There's nothing particularly clever about it. There's nothing new about it, but... The reason fast people do really well at playing football is that they're really hard to catch. So perhaps one or two of them might help. Uh, right, Nakudu looks quite. Yeah, sorry, Karen. Nakudu looked quite exciting in pre-season, but we've yet to see any existence of his existence in season proper. You know, any, I don't see any harm in giving him a run out against Burnley from the start. If he's shit, take him off at half time. But at least we've tried it and seen what he can do. Because up until now he's he's sort of more of an idea than a player. He's a he's a, a theory. Yeah, it's just what's the point in having him there if he's not going to do anything? Um, Marcus Edwards apparently had a bit of a mare in the under twenty threes today, but he's been injured for ages of an ankle ligament. Um, 
injury. Well, that's why you, what you're going to do in youth football, isn't it? It's where you learn how to play football. So yeah. you don't particularly worry about them having bad games in youth football. Oh, no, no, but I just mean in the respect that a lot of people are touting him for the first team already, you know, when he's still not really consistent in the youth leagues by the sound of things. Um, but, oh, all right, put it put it this way, mate. I'll, I'll, this is a question from me to you. Okay. So, let's say 50 mil, 80 grand a week. Would you take Riyad Mahrez before the transfer window closes? No. No? Because I'm, I'm not particularly impressed by him, no. to be quite honest. But, um, you know, I'm sure he'd do a job, but he's just not the type of footballer I'm particularly fond of. Um, but, you know, it's not as if I'd actively cheer against him or anything if he came to Spurs, but... Um, I get the impression that he wouldn't come for 80 grand. He would, he wants to go somewhere for double and he sort of, you know, this is his chance to get a really big move and whatnot. So uh, I, would, I wouldn't I would um, be too fond of it because, to be quite honest, when if we're going to be getting a winger of that ilk, I don't think they're going to be the immediate first choice in the team and he wants to be. Um He's not going to come in and take Ericsson's place or Ali's place or Kane's place. He's not going to be good enough to force us to change formation or anything. So it's one of those where I um, I think it's probably more trouble than it's worth it. It strikes me as one of those things that it's, you know, half past ten and the window closing half an hour and Daniel Levy's, you know, Phone's itching above his phone. His hand's itching above his phone. He goes, you know what? Let's bid fifty million for Mares and see what happens. You can see what it happening, happened? though, can't you? Uh, yeah, but uh, not the not actual deal. I mean, that that scenario that you're outlining there. Well, it's happened so many times. Do you not remember when we tried to sign Aguero on transfer deadline day <laughs> and uh, Charlie Adam and um... that was miserable. Who else? Although Charlie Adam obviously. was. A... To be fair, was all right at that point. Not good, but he was all right. He wasn't kind of the Charlie Adam we know and detest nowadays, but he was still Charlie Adam. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's it, it was just you know he, he's done this plenty of times, isn't it? As well, I think we bid at that point. Yeah, I think the only reason why it didn't come off is there was like a, not a board member at one of the two of the clubs who was awake or something. So it was, you know, on its way through, but he'd literally made the phone call and tried to make the deal happen with about two minutes to spare. Thank God for that. That's lucky. Um, let's see. I think we had one. I mean, there is an upside. I mean, the Van der Vaart deal and whatnot, that dragged through to the next day after the window, but that was, you know, a dream bit of business. We've had... Uh, oh, mate, don't. That was, that was exceptional. I think... Uh, eight, eight million for Rafa van der Vaart. Thank you very much. And just the size of the size of the player as well. I don't... I mean, he was a bit fat, but there's no need to make him... <laughs> but I don't think I've... I, yeah. Pulling out my sort of semi-dark credentials here, but I've never... Yeah, it's the biggest deal probably since Jürgen Klinsmann, that in terms of like the gravitas and the size of the player and his international standing... It was a real statement that oh, it's just so good. I think it happened around my 18th birthday, and I was just remember being so excited about it. It was back when sort of um, I had so little to do that I could sort of sit and watch Sky Sports News for 24 solid hours um, and just follow deals and shit like that. Um, but it was um, came out of nowhere, though, didn't it? Really, the yeah, 
it came out of nowhere. It was, you know, people didn't believe it was going to happen. Like I said, it wasn't made official until the day after the window had closed because paperwork and whatnot. But yeah, that was a that was a fun time to be buying people late in the window. It was far more exciting than Moose Sissoko was. Oh, dear, dear. Um, it's just miserable, that one, isn't it? We bought, didn't we buy Dempsey at like five minutes before the window closed and... I think so. I mean, Dempsey would have been all right. Just you know, he's competing with Gareth Bale. Like, it's, it's... he scored goals. He wore a stupid number, but he scored the winner against Man United and he scored a few goals and whatnot. But it was just a strange signing at a strange time. But that's Jeez. what that's what Tottenham did. Yeah, I'd forgotten about that. But yeah, less said about that, the better. Um, Brian Stewart at rs underscore thfc. Has rather problematically asked us why do I want to hit Marcus Alonso with a car? <laughs> <laughs> no comment. Yeah. Uh, 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 Matthew Borum at mborum1 has asked should Spurs bid 20 mil for Noy? N double O Y. Do you think he's. T- who's not. Is he, he's not talking about your lab, Moy, is he? At Huddersfield. Or am I missing a. Is Noy a football manager special? I don't think he's on about Aaron, Aaron Moy, no. What's he spe- how's he spelling it? N double O Y. Uh, it's not coming up on Google. I've never heard of him. I think it must be Moy, mate. I think it's a typo. Uh, I don't think twenty million is going to get you Aaron Moy in this window, given that he's just gone for eight to ten, uh, and he wouldn't come straight into our team. But there's a number of clubs that should have bought Aaron Moy that aren't Huddersfield because it would have made their teams immediately better. Um, how old is he? So I- He's 26, I think. Okay. Um, so he's in his prime. And Sykes, who I went, who got to football with, um, said to me yesterday, is he the best footballer that doesn't play for a top six team? And I, off the top of my head, I couldn't think of one. So he's definitely in that conversation. What is he? He's but, like you know, a playmaker, centre midfielder type. He used to be a number 10 when he was Australia, but David Wagner's made him into a sort of a withdrawn playmaker in the the first band of midfield but he does his work defensively he's literally everywhere his work rate is fantastic um australian luka modric essentially yeah uh, but he, yeah he's fantastic to watch he's a, a really good footballer he wouldn't come in straight away to spurs the one player I, I wouldn't mind putting into the spurs system is phil billing who's the six foot five danish version of aaron moy who plays next to him because uh, hoggies are injured uh, but yeah, I'd have Billing in because he's young and uh, I'm sure Pochettino could do a thing or two with him. Um, but yeah, uh, why Everton didn't buy him or West Ham or Southampton or whatnot, I'm not sure. But he's um, he's a fantastic footballer. I'm, uh, I'm not sure I'd want to see him at Spurs because I don't think he'd get the opportunities he deserves and that there are better fits for him elsewhere. He's not the type of personality that will force his way into the first team or mm. whatnot. Um but if we were going to have somebody who just sort of rotates in and out of the side, he'll he'll be fantastic. But he's he's not somebody I would go and out go out and buy for us. What about Mooney? <laughs> he um he can add the ball really well, but um I'm not sure. Maybe maybe that might be a choice to sort of a bring him on and kick the ball high because he's he works really hard. Um, he doesn't stop running. He's better with his feet than most people give him credit for. Um, so he might be an option as sort of a, you know, we're 1-0-0 we're with Burnley and there's 15 minutes to go, big stick Mooney up top and see what happens. But I'm not sure 
Tottenham are that type of club. Um, is, but, you know, we'll see. Is there any player in particular that just this is just again from ATU? Is there anyone that stands out? You know, like for example, like I had my man crush on Victor Wanyama for many years. Is there any sort of one player that are not even in this if money were no object, a realistic purchase for Spurs that you would quite like to see us make that you think would improve the side? Mm, I, to be honest, I've I've stopped I've stopped thinking about transfers in that way. Like there's mm. no one that I do. The last one that I did was Ben Davies, and that's eventually turned out all right. But it's because I'm I sort of enjoy the direction Tottenham have gone in over the past few seasons where we've bought players that we haven't been too aware of and turned them into more exciting talents and promoting players through the youth team. That's been a far more enjoyable way of following the club than going, oh my God, there's this Brazilian yeah. uh, midfielder who's the Brazilian Frank Lampard. I can't believe we've got him. And then he turns up and can't do fucking five kick-ups. So there's, it's just a, you know, I think we've had his fingers burnt too much with getting excited over somebody because they've got a name and a half-decent YouTube reel. It's, I'm more excited by the unknown. Um, and that might just be me getting older and world weary now, um, but I'm not sure. It's, it's there's no one that particularly sticks out in my mind, to be honest. There, there are players I obviously like, but how realistic they are, I'm not sure. So it's it's one of those where I just let the club get on with with what they do, and we'll see. I mean, Davis and Sanchez isn't a player that particularly stuck out to me whenever I've seen Ajax recently, but having read what people have said about him, having seen how obviously interested the club are in him, knowing that, you know, Kevin Wimmer's been in Pochettino's bad books for like a year and a half now. Uh, there's there's excitement there because I want to see what the club make of this exciting young player. So I'd rather that than sort of getting me self-hung up over Amara's or something because you'll always, you know, it's always like a 14-year-old kid or a 50-year-old man that uh, reply to everything to Tottenham tweet going sign so-and-so or announce so-and-so and all that sort of disgraceful behaviour. But... Um, you see, you're saying you're definitely not one of those skills, assists, goals, <laughs> HD YouTuber watchers anymore. No. No, definitely not. You know, I, I've, I've of... got to admit to the fact that when we signed Davinson Sanchez, I did actually watch one of those reels on YouTube and Charlotte caught me and called me a paedophile. Did she break off the marriage? Because I would have. She, I think it was close to. <laughs> she was, she was, yeah, she actually did demand that I turn it off and, you know, it worked. reassess. I, just, I, like, I like the fact that, you know, you get to learn these players in a sort of a, Tottenham context and whatnot. I don't like yeah. having the expectations of seeing what they're going to do because most of the time when they come to Tottenham, what Pochettino makes them do is completely different to what they've done before, and that's half the enjoyment of it. So, um, no, I'm, I'm, uh, there's nobody I would particularly hang my hat on wanting to come. Have you read Although, up on? Like I say, mm. like I say, I'd, I'd, I'd take Billing and stick him in the youth team and uh, see what we could make of him. Have you read up on Ozark yet, mate? No, I've completely forgot about it as soon as I hung up. Let me, I've got my computer in front of me. How do I spell it? O-Z-A-R-K. That's the one. Not going to lie, mate. It sounds shit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> American crime drama thriller. Already, to me, it doesn't know what genre it is. 
Um, Jason Bateman, that's not a good sign. Do you not know? Oh, I quite like Jason Bateman. Jason Bateman can't his... act. Jason Bateman is Jason Bateman and everything is. I'll put him in the same category as I do Tobey Maguire because Tobey Maguire is fucking Tobey Maguire no matter who he is. Do I want to see Spider-Man? Probably fair, see? yeah, but... Tobey Maguire I, in tights. I think what Jason Bateman is is better than what Tobey Maguire is. He's just a version, different version of Tobey Maguire. It's like... Uh, it's like he doesn't have that puffy, cry face all the time, that funny mouth and tongue. He's got the Jamie Oliver tongue, um, Tobey Maguire. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not a fan of either. Um, let me just read the uh, synopsis. Financial planner. Uh, I like Laura Linney. Uh, She's brilliant. She relocates for me to... It sounds a bit boring. It's about money laundering. Is that it? Give it yeah, give it a go then, mate. I'll say. I mean, I'm not saying it's not reinventing the wheel. Let me just right. I know I've sort of brought it up again. We're not talking <laughs> like it's not Sopranos or anything like that. But as far as like a random Netflix series goes, it's pretty decent. I would give it. I would give it six tusks out of ten. Where's uh, where is it like sort of zero to Stranger Things? Oh, zero to Stranger Things. Five. That's not a recommendation, is it? Five, verging six, but... I mean, Stranger Things is setting the bar pretty high, though, isn't it? Yeah, well, there's not a lot of time before we shuffle off this mortal coil, and I'm not sure I've got enough time in my life for fives anymore. I'm being completely honest with you. The only annoying thing is I'm being conservative there, because I know you'll watch it and be like, that was shite, but... (laughs) I've not even watched it, I've said it was shite. (laughs) Um, watch it. If not, have, have you, you watched it? Have you watched this week's Game of Thrones? I have. Have you? Yeah. People will watch it by the time this podcast comes out. Otherwise, if you've not seen this week's episode of Game of Thrones, as in like the one that came out two o'clock our time Sunday night, Monday morning, then uh, I'd avoid this. Chat. Yeah, turn off that because it's going to be the end of the pod now, anyway. So yeah. turn off from this point. Um, you, you do the you do the podcast sign off, and then we'll talk about Game of Thrones. If you want to listen to all the previous episodes of Rulerish Podcast, you can do so on Acast or iTunes. Um, follow us on Twitter at rtr underscore pod or visit the website rtrpod.com. Um, now we're going to talk about the latest Game of Thrones with spoilers and all that shit in it. Yeah, so if you tweet us going, why do you talk about Game of Thrones and spoil it, Mario? You're a fucking idiot. Yeah, yeah, and you haven't made this properly, so you deserve it. It's your own fault. Yeah, because we've mentioned it about 10 times now, but yeah, uh, proceed. Um, Mate, so I, you know, it's it's just, it's everything that we've been talking about to this point with this series. I actually, and I'm about 100. Well, yeah, I'm not going to pretend like (laughs) I'm not enjoying it because I am still enjoying it. That's the thing. I, I I appreciate it despite its many flaws. I see, you know, there are numerous flaws to this. One of the big ones being that was pointed out in a, an article I read because I, I I was I had some thoughts about it and I thought let's see you know how these align with what other people are saying. Am I just being a bit of a twat? And one of the things I was thinking is like if it was such an effort for them to even convince Daenerys that this walking this army of the dead exists or anything like that to even let them go. It just seems so bizarre that they could suddenly send a raven and she's like, actually, fuck it, you know what? I'll fly over there with my dragons and just do this anyway. 
why didn't they just do that in the first place? If she was that easily led, why didn't why did why couldn't they? They could have still created this arc whereby Daenerys rides over I there with John. They, uh, they have I the think... other dragon. The Night King still kills the other dragon, and she has that vengeful hatred for the dead, as well as having seen them. Like they I just... think the the point of it though is that her and John spending time together sort of sets up this weird another incest weird thing yeah. where she obviously wants a bit of her nephew's dick um and that's her real thing because that's why she stood at the wall waiting for him to come back and didn't want to leave is because she is having feels for her nephew um because they don't know yet it's less creepy than Jamie and Cersei but still creepy because we know um so I think that's one of the lesser points that I'm annoyed about. Uh, sort of, I came away from this episode with two feelings. The first of which was, this show is now fucking ridiculous and I enjoy it regardless. Yeah. And two is that Game of Thrones was a, a great program when it was peak Thrones because of the source material of George R. R. Martin, despite the obvious lack of skill of Benioff and Weiss. Because when the shows become their creative outlook, they're clearly not very good at what they do. Um, the plot holes now are so big that you can march an army of the dead through them. The fact that, you know, when it was sort of 10 episode series, little hints and things as to things were going to happen or, you know, when somebody said they were going to do something like John would go, I'm going to go back to the wall and do this. He would say it in episode two, and he wouldn't be at the wall until episode exactly. seven. And it's losing now, that. Like They've done fucking 10 trips back and forth as if it's round corner yeah, it in re- one episode. Because you, you don't get the same... It, like, again, don't get me wrong, on, on face value, it was fucking cool to see the dragon swoop over the wall and come in where, as soon as they needed it to sweep up a load of the undead and blah, 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 blah. But the dramatic effect was lessened so much by the fact that this epic journey across halfway across the country is over in two minutes. Like they need Daenerys and then suddenly she's there. It just How fast was that fucking Raven flying? You know how fast was Gendry running? Exactly. Like it's it's ridiculous. And it it's, it is it's it is because it, it cheapens the it effect does. and the payoff. Because had they done all that, they can have those same set pieces as they have done in the past. But if that had been sort of teased and done over so many more episodes and things, and it been, you know, you can see since the very first episode, since the very first season, we've known at some point these creepy dead alien things and this Night King, who's apparently the world's best javelin thrower, are going to eventually come face to face. And it's going to be this weird fantasy fight off and that's what you're waiting to pay off for like six odd series now. But the fact that that's all happened within sort of one episode rather than having been built up to, you know, over the course of four or five, which it needed to be or should have been or, or would have been in, in days gone by, it just feels as if it's a bit of a rush job. I mean, like I say, it's, it's enjoyable, but it's not the same quality as it once was. Mm. I mean, it's 
it's giving you every single thing you want and there's not one point of it that i actually disagree with in terms of plot it's just how it's handled yeah it's it's, sort of i think that the only thing i would say that i think we have to take into account is that the hand has been forced slightly in the budgetary restrictions and such have meant that the seasons have got to be a bit shorter and they've had to wrap it up in two seasons. So I, I kind of get why they how, might how be... How is that the case, though? Surely they know that this is the biggest show on Earth and that they can... You know, what? how many more episodes would it have been? For seven more episodes, they can't stretch out seven episodes over the course of two seasons to give the show the ending it deserves because this could have Christ been knows. their version of Sopranos and Wire, they could have been in that conversation yeah. and now they're in the tier below and it's only because they've they've rushed the ending. Mate, and that I, happens I, I would honestly so say probably shows. even a couple of tiers below now. I, I, I think it's even, to be honest, the way it's ending, I think it's falling beneath like Breaking Bad and such now. Well, the joy of Breaking Bad and the reason why that was so good is there was not an episode or a second rushed on that programme. They got to tell the story they wanted to do in the time they wanted to do it. And that doesn't feel the case here. This randomly, sort of, everything seems to be happening at once. And it's almost as if, you know, if George R. R. Martin had been in charge of it, I imagine somebody important would have probably died at one point in one of these mm. things. One of the, the little side plots that's pissing me off the most is um, Littlefinger at Winterfell and the Star oh, Girl. It's just, it's just so obviously done and so badly handled. And it's, it's really corny, though, as well, isn't it? Well, they want you to obviously have this feeling and have this conflict of the two sisters, but it's just so ham-fistedly done because there's well, none they're going to find out that it's him and they're going to kill him, so just why even bother, you know? It's so obvious. Yeah, it's, it's not it's, it's not great. But it's like I say, it's it's enjoyable, but it's not the programme it once was. So you've I, I've already shifted my expectations on yeah. it enough to go... This is going to be daft, and I'll enjoy it for being daft. Um, but it's not the program that I would sort of. You used to watch an episode of Game of Thrones, and they would throw off twenty different, like, side stories, and they, and it would almost be half of them are red herrings, and like the three or four that are important, you wouldn't almost grasp hold of until they'd been drip fed to you a little bit more. Mm-hmm. But now they only have like two main stories, which obviously what's going to happen. They can't have done that all the way through. But it's just the way they've brought everyone back together and sort of concentrated the story into its conclusion has been so elegantly done in comparison to how intricate and how how well set up it had been previously. That um, it's just you know it's just uh, it's, a, it's a bit of a shame, really. It is. Right, let's kill it there. Um, thanks for listening. Come on, you Spurs. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? 
Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 